Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. If you have your Bibles, turn to Numbers chapter number 8. We're going to jump right into tonight's message. Numbers chapter number 8. We're coming to the end of our family talk series. I feel a little weird with this series because it's not my normal style of preaching. And I think it's, I hope it's helpful. I, I, I've heard some good feedback here and there throughout the series. This is our ninth lesson in this series. But I said it from the beginning, this is not an expositional Bible study. It's really more what I would call a teaching, uh, a teaching lesson or a seminar style, maybe something that you might do in a, in a family seminar or something of that nature. And we started with different ages and stages. We started with newborns and infants and toddlers and then elementary age and teenagers and single adults, college age, and then uh, single adults, career age, and, and married couples. And last week... We looked at the decade of the 40s, and for some, last week was really only one verse. We read one verse at the beginning, and it felt really weird for me because I read one verse, and then I just talked the rest of the night. I told my wife when I came down, I said, I don't know if that, any of that made sense, and that felt so weird. I was just talking, sharing my thoughts, and it was helped to me a challenge to remain joyful, but, but tonight we're going to look at a little bit more Scripture, but still not what I would call necessarily a, a Bible study, but tonight we're going to look at the 50s and 60s, those decades, and and I, I think it's true that every one of these, even if you're not in that age or stage of life, there are some biblical principles tonight that will be a challenge to you and will be a help to you with where you're at to consider. But tonight is the first age or stage that I have not personally been a part of. From newborn on up to last week, I've at least had a little bit of personal experience and some things that I see that maybe I've done well in my life and some things that I've done not so well and mistakes that I've learned from my wife and I, and we've shared some of those. Tonight's going to be some biblical principles, and then I guess you would say some, some things I've learned from others and observations I've seen from others in their lives and, and maybe through counseling. And the way that this series, for those that might be joining us, we've got back there uh, Wiley Powers, Caleb's dad. We welcome you to church tonight. And uh, Caleb, uh, he, uh, he had a little accident this week and, and, and injured his foot. Um, and so appreciate you being, he's, uh, Caleb's dad was able to be out here and, and helping him. And they're, they're moving from one place to another. And so you be in prayer for Caleb, if you will. He's, he's still at work and doing his thing. But may end up, we're praying, he doesn't end up having to have surgery. They'll know more in the next a uh, few days or so, but you be in prayer for that if you will. But if you're visiting, the way that the format of this has been is for each age or stage, I've given you at least one key word that I would say should be the focus in that age or stage of life or might be what we're shooting for, the goal, or, or what kind of, biblically speaking, might try to define us. And so we're coming to the end. This is the second to the last message in our series. We will not be back here next Wednesday. Jay Shaner, Lord willing, will be preaching and teaching next Wednesday night. He'll start a three-part series entitled The Mountains of Life. 
and Jay and Betsy are a faithful, godly couple in our church, and, uh, and, and God brought them here several years ago, and he's taught uh, in, in a variety of places many times in our church, and he's going to start a three-week series looking at, back at lessons learned, uh, looking at the mountains of life, and I believe it'll be a help to you. I hope you'll plan to be here. I have one more uh, message in this Family Talk series that the following Wednesday will finish up, and uh, so Numbers 8, chapter number 20, uh, Numbers 8, verse number 23. Verse number 23, the Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, This is it that belongeth unto the Levites. The Levites, they were one of the tribes of Israel, and the Levites were the only tribe they were assigned to take care of the house of God. The tabernacle, the temple, when, when they were traveling, which is what this uh, uh, instruction is for, when they were traveling in the wilderness, when they had the, the tabernacle before they got to Jerusalem, before they got to the promised land to Canaan, they had a portable church, if you will, a portable temple, a portable place where God was worshipped, where, where all of that was done. And every time they moved, and, and, and th- it was not a small operation. There was all kinds of furniture and all kinds of things. Uh, there's a replica at a couple different places you can go visit visit of the tabernacle, and I've enjoyed going to that uh, a couple different times, and it's a large, a large thing that they have there with all of the furniture. Well, the Levites were the ones that would care for all of that. They would care for the house of God. They served at the house of God, and the others, the other 11 tribes, were responsible to help take care of the Levites so that the Levites could take care of the spiritual work. And so he's speaking to the Levites in verse 24, this is it that belongeth unto the Levites. From twenty and five years old and upward, they shall go in to wait upon the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. Once they hit twenty-five, that's their career. That's their job. They are, they are to minister through and care for the tabernacle for the congregation, the spiritual work there for the people of Israel. Verse 25. And from the age of what, what age church? From the age of 50 years. They shall cease waiting upon the service thereof and shall serve no more. And that sounds a little discouraging. Like, what? My life's not over at 50. Shall serve no more. Notice it says in verse 26, but shall minister with their brethren in the tabernacle of the congregation to keep the charge and shall do no service. Thus shalt thou do unto the Levites touching their charge. Again, the Levites caring for the tabernacle This is not saying at 50 they retire and do nothing else. What it's saying is at the age of 50, their work changes. It says here, they shall do no more service. And as you study that out and what that's talking about, it was the more laborious work. Once they hit 50, they were no longer responsible for the setup, the takedown, the cleaning, the carrying of the furniture. They weren't responsible for those things. It says here what they were supposed to do in verse 26, they would minister with their brethren to keep the charge. What was that? Their work went from the more laborious work to more leadership and oversight, to keep the charge, to make sure things were being done the right way. They had some wisdom and experience. They had been there. And so they no longer were the grunt workers, if you will. They were now more in a leadership role, in an oversight role, making sure that those that were younger were doing things the right way and were moving there. 
And, and in this series, again, I've sought to give us at least one key word. I'm going to give us one word for each decade tonight. The word for the 50s, my word, and we could come up with, with a bunch of them probably, but my word for the 50s, my challenge is this word, fruitful. Fruitful. The idea being, at, in your 50s, in, in some ways, I think maybe you're kind of at a sweet spot where you have some experience, you have some wisdom, you have some resources, you're, you're not, you're, you're, you're a little bit settled in life probably, you've, you've been through some valleys, you've been through some mountaintops, some victories, some defeats, you have a little better perspective on life hopefully than you did at 20 or 25 or 30. I hope that our, our, our growth and our maturity and our perspective grows as we get a little bit older. You see things a little more clearly, you understand the brevity of life. And, and my challenge is at this stage, just like the Levites, maybe our perspective and our focus is on some things change a little bit. It doesn't mean we, 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 we completely change purposes, but it changes a little bit. Let me illustrate. What is the longest? We have several contractors in our church and those that work in the construction industry. What is the longest part of building a building or a structure, generally speaking, it's all of the work that goes into getting the building out of the ground. The fundraising, getting the financing secured, the, the land acquisition, the architectural drawings, getting those things approved and back and forth with planners and plan checkers and getting the revisions and going through all the code and, and the plumbing and the electrical and all of that stuff. And then finally, when you get the approval, then actually breaking ground. And before you ever come up out of the ground, you've got to go down into the ground, right? And, and, and the, the, all of the getting down into the ground and the foundations and the footings. And uh, it takes a very long time with almost any structure before you see anything of significance above the ground. The same is true in farming. Preparing the soil, digging the rows, planting seeds, pulling weeds, keeping pests away, watering. There's a lot of effort that goes in before you see anything of value, any fruit, if you will. It takes, it takes in the, the harvest time of farming is just a short, maybe a week, or depending on the crop, a week or two or three, but you have months of labor, months of time. Percentage-wise, way more time is spent in preparation than it is in bearing fruit and enjoying the fruits of those labors. All that effort that goes in, and then all of a sudden you have this short window of time to reap a harvest from all of that time of preparation. Now, this doesn't mean that a life can't be fruitful in their teens or in their 20s or in their 30s or in their 40s, but I think from my observation that, that generally speaking, as God gives health and strength and you get into that decade of your 50s, there's been a whole lot of underground work. There's been a whole lot of foundation. You've put, you've put in long nights and, and, and following whatever that career path was and study and, and sessions and learning those things and conferences and, and mistakes and maybe losing money and maybe having a bad job and getting fired and, or, or starting another business or going back to school and all of those things. And that doesn't mean that nobody in their 50s ever goes back to school or changes their career, but generally speaking, all of that work in our lives and I view in some ways, and again, it doesn't mean that in your 60s or your 70s or beyond you can't be fruitful. We'll talk about some of that. But I, I view the decade of, of the 50s kind of like that harvest time. Kind of like that time when you're building upon the foundation that you spent decades laying. 
Again, in general, from my perspective, it seems to be kind of a sweet spot of life where you have wisdom and experience, some resources, health, strength. You know what matters in life. You, you, you have some resources to spend on what matters in life, and you still have a good bit of energy to put toward it. Toward it. And so my challenge to those in your 50s, if, if you're there, or for those of us approaching it in that decade, be fruitful, not frivolous. Look at what really does matter because no matter what you want to say, when you get into the decade of your 50s, you are definitely, and somewhere in that decade, past the halfway point of your life. At 59, that would take you to 118. I've never met a 118-year-old. I know they exist and they're there, but probably most of us aren't going to make it to 118. So somewhere in our 50s, we are definitely past the halfway point of our lives. According to life expectancy, many of us will be far past the halfway point of our lives when we make it to that decade. And, and we, have, we have a little understanding of the brevity of life and the importance of priorities. And, and my question, and by the way, this is where I talk about this. This can be applied to us no matter what age we are. But my question for those that are in that decade and really for all of us is, are we being fruitful? Is there anything of value coming from all of our labor? What if you, you were in a backyard digging and planting and all of this and no fruit ever came? It'd be a big, fat waste of time. And, and our lives can be that way. Is there anything of value coming from the decades of foundation, of labor, of sacrifice, of education, of all of those things? And, and, and my, my challenge is give your time, your talent, your resources, your energy in that season and really in every season, but to those things that truly matter. Don't throw away those precious years where you've got, a, most of the time, generally speaking, a good bit of strength and some resources that you might not have had in your 20s, some wisdom you might not have had in your 30s, some experiences you didn't have in your 40s, and, and you've got these things. Maybe you've accomplished a little bit in life. There might be a little savings or some investment, some perspective and wisdom you don't have in your 20s or 30s or even 40s. And, and my question is, how are you spending those resources? Be fruitful in your relationships. Be fruitful in your service and your eternal impact with your life. Turn with me, if you will, to the book of Psalms. Psalm, Psalm number 90. The book of Psalms, Psalm number 90. Let's go there. We're going to look at two, two spots here in Psalms. Psalm 90, and then we'll skip over a couple Psalms to Psalm 92. What does the psalmist say here as he's getting older? Psalm 90. Verse number 10. Psalm 90, verse number 10, the days of our years are threescore years and 10, 70 years. He says, basically, the general, generally, 70 is about where, where the life expectancy there, he says. And if by reason of strength, they be fourscore years, 80, yet is their strength labor and sorrow. It's not easy to get to 80. For it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knoweth the power of thine anger, even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. Would you read verse number 12 aloud with me? Ready? Begin. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Life is going to be over quickly, he says. We can maybe, the Lord might be gracious to give us 70, and maybe we'll get lucky, he says, or our strength allows us to get to 80, but, but very quickly our life will be done. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Have you ever number your days for something? You talk to somebody that's engaged, what do they do? They number their days. 
You ask them, how long till you get married? Most of the time, they, they, they know what it is, especially as it gets closer. 24, week, 24 days, 22 days, 23 days, whatever it is. You talk to little children, maybe you're going to go on a family vacation or, a, or, or go to take them on a special treat or Disneyland or something like that. And sometimes with kids, it'll be, and parents will tell them, only three more sleeps, only four more days. What are we doing? We're numbering our days. One of the reasons, what, why do we do that? Because there's something that we're looking forward to. And maybe if you're preparing, preparing for a wedding, I've got a lot I've got to get done before this time. If you have a deadline at work, you might have a countdown of how many days you have left. I've got to make this count. Why is that? I've got, I've got an end point that's coming here and I've got all this I have to get done. I've got to make the most of every day. Todd, you, you're, a, you're a construction superintendent. When you get a job, there's a deadline, am I right? And if it goes past that deadline, your company loses a whole bunch of money. So I'm, I'm sure in your job, Keith, you work with construction scheduling. Every day, you know what you have to get done. On this day, we've got this contractor coming in. What is he doing in the construction field? He's numbering his days. Why? Because there's a deadline coming. And at that point, I've got to have all of this done. What is the psalmist saying here? There's a deadline coming. There's coming a day when we can't work any longer. We can't bear fruit any longer. How long are we going to waste our days, our weeks, our months, our years, our decades on things that don't matter? And we look back at our teen years and why did I make all those mistakes? And then we look back at our 20s and then I got even worse down. And I'm not talking about living in regret, but we can look back. I wasted all that time. And for all of us, the challenge is, and all of us have wasted some time. Don't live in regret or condemnation there. But the challenge is, how are we doing today? God's given us that life in being fruitful. Look at verse 13. Return, O Lord, how long? And let it repent thee concerning thy servants. Look at verse 14. O satisfy us. What's that word? Satisfy us early with thy mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. What did he say? Help us to get the right perspective on you and our lives early in life so that we can have a fruitful life all of our days. Satisfy us early with your mercy. Help us to, to get an eternal perspective in our lives early in life so that we can live a life, fruitful, pleasing life to you for a long time. Skip over, if you will, to Psalm 92. Look at Psalm number 92, verse number 12. Psalm 92, verse number 12. The righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. He shall grow often in the Bible. Jesus talks about the fruits of the Spirit, or uh, Paul talks about the fruits of the Spirit. Jesus talks about abiding in Him and you'll bear much fruit. Uh, and Psalm 1 talks about a tree. Often we're likened to, to horticulture, to plants, to trees bearing fruit. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord, verse 13, shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing. What's the idea there? A significant life that, that made an impact, that made a difference. They shall bring forth fruit in old age. My challenge to us is, all of us, but I think a great word to look at or maybe to shoot for if you're not yet in that decade, if you are in that decade, is the word fruitful. Because the reality is we need to learn to, num all of us do, but you get into your 50s, 60s, 70s, and again, all of us. But we need to learn to number our days. That we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Make wise choices. Use, use our time, 
our resources, our talents, our families, our schedule, our, our finances, toward things that matter, toward things that are bearing fruit, toward things that are making a difference, bearing fruit. And then the word, one word for our 60s, for the 60s. Turn with me, if you will, to Titus chapter number 2. Titus in chapter number 2. As we turn to Titus 2, I'll put a verse up on the screen. I want you to notice what the psalmist said in Psalm 71. The psalmist said in Psalm 71, Now also when I am old and gray-headed, O God, forsake me not, I like this, until I have showed thy strength unto this generation and thy power to everyone that is come. Titus chapter number 2, we'll read that in a minute. I want you to see this verse again once you get there. Psalm 71, verse 18. Now also when I am old and gray-headed, O God, forsake me not until I have showed thy strength unto this generation and thy power to everyone that is to come. Isn't that a great verse from the psalmist? God, don't take me yet. I've got some people I want to share some things with. I've got a message I want to tell some, some younger folks about. I've got a generation I want to impact. Look at Titus chapter number 2, beginning in verse, Titus 2, verse number 1. But speak thou the things, he's speaking, Paul here, writing to a, a pastor here. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. So I want you to tell, preach this when you preach. What, what's the thing that becomes sound doctrine? That the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. I could preach a whole message on those characteristics as, as we get older. Do those things define us? And they should be good examples of godliness and fruitful lives. Verse 3, the aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers. They're not gossiping, not given to much wine. Teachers of good things. They're good examples. They're good. Verse 4, that they may teach the young women to be sober. That means serious to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Teach the younger women to be godly wives and mothers. Young men, notice this, verse 6, likewise exhort to be sober-minded. Help these young men to see a purpose for life, to get serious about the things of God in all things. By the way, don't just teach them, he tells them. Don't just teach, older folks, don't just teach these things, verse 7, in all things showing thyself, pastor and older folks, a pattern of good works in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, uh, that he that is of the, a contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again my word for the decade of 60s is this investment investment from 60 to 70 my challenge is and again we all should be doing this but invest in others what you have been given and taught and earned in your life by age 60 you've lived 22,000 days you've learned much you've seen much you've laughed you've cried you've won some battles and you've lost some battles You've been loved and you've been betrayed and hurt. You've probably been working some 40 to 50 years by this point. Simply put, you have resources to share. 
You have experience to share. You have wisdom to share. Uh, you, you have resources. Don't keep those to yourself. In this decade, find people and purposes with which to invest those resources. Invest what God has given you while you have the opportunity because the Bible tells all of us in Proverbs, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. None of us know what tomorrow is going to bring in our lives. And so we should all live for God today. Teach us to number our days. But as we get, we start getting getting closer to that, that number 70 there, and we're in that decade of the 60s, we have even more wisdom, more experience, more resources, maybe. And, and again, these are general statements. I understand there are people that, that, that maybe have made really bad mistakes and are living really bad lives in their 60s, but generally speaking, you, you come across and, and there are godly people in that, in that age, and we ought, to, we ought to invest what God has given us while we have the opportunity. I would challenge you, give of your finances while you can. Why leave an unnecessary amount behind? And I'm not saying the Bible talks about leaving an inheritance to your children and your children's children. There's nothing wrong with that. But why leave an unnecessary amount behind for your family to fight over? A lot of times that's what happens with, with large inheritances is, every, is people start fighting and it, it divides families. Why, why, why leave that uh, behind for, for those that to possibly spend in ways that you wouldn't have or that wouldn't be profitable to the, those that are spending it or pleasing to God? You worked hard for that. I would challenge you with God's help. You decide it with much of that where you want to invest that. What difference you want to make with that? Not only give of your finances while you can, give of your time while you can. What did he say in Titus? Those that are older, aged, Take a young man under your wing and teach him. Take a young lady under your wing and show him what it means to be a faithful Christian. Help them through that newlywed, through those difficulties in marriage, that, that struggling mom or dad, that single parent. Take them to the side and, and help them and teach them and share your wisdom and share your experience. That's what it says here in Titus 2. Invest. What did the psalmist say? Would you please don't forsake me. I want to share your truth with the next generation. I want to invest. I want to tell them. Teach them a trade, maybe a next generation. Show them a skill. Share your wisdom. Encourage them. Bless them. Laugh with them. Cry with them. Pray with them. Uh, maybe write down your life story and journal the truths you've learned in life to leave to those coming behind you. I, I don't know. Maybe set up your phone and, and record a, a short weekly video to share with, with your children or your grandchildren or a loved one or a church member. And here's a story from my life. And here's a lesson that I learned. And here's something I went through in my 20s. And Here's how God brought me out of it. I don't know what it will be, but my challenge would be when you find yourself between the age of 60 and 70, you have much to share. Like the psalmist said, don't forsake me when I get a little bit older. Let me proclaim your truth to another generation, to all those that are to come. You aged women, teach the younger. Likewise, you aged men, teach the younger to be, to be sober-minded, to get serious about God. It's interesting. Our flesh, and I believe Satan, try to keep us from the relationships that we need most. Think about it with teenagers. What, is it, what relationship does a teenager probably need the most up to that point in their lives? Their parents. They need a strong relationship with their parents. And you think about at least the stereotype or the typical teenager or what we view in American society. What is generally in the teen years the weakest relationship in their lives? Their parents. 
I don't think that's a coincidence. That's the God-ordained leadership structure, and Satan would love to do anything he can to, 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 bring, to tear the hearts of the parents and the teenagers apart from one another. What, what, a, a teenager needs that, that a lot of times in their teen years, that relationship gets strained and distant. By the way, what does a young man or a young lady in their 20s or 30s or 40s probably most need? A godly mentor in their lives. But they often fail to reach out to them. And here's what happens. Sometimes those in their 60s and 70s can, or, or older can kind of feel like, ah, it, they kind of passed me up. They don't really want to hear what I have to say. It doesn't really, I, I, don't, I don't understand maybe all the technology like they do. And, and, and I believe that's a trick of Satan and our flesh. Ah, that, that young mom, that young husband, he's not, going to want to, he's not going to hear what I have to say. I don't really have anything to offer. He, he's so much more savvy in business or in technology or in this or financially or, or whatever it might be than I am. I'm, I'm, and sometimes as you get older, what, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this in two weeks on Wednesday night, what, what you, you begin to believe, it's a lie. You begin to believe, well, my time has passed me up and it's time for another generation. No, like the psalmist said, would you not forsake me when I'm old and gray-headed? Help me to proclaim your truth and your name to another generation. Don't buy into that lie. May I tell you, I need, and I try to seek it out in my life, I need to learn from those who have walked the path that I'm walking. I need to learn from husbands and wives that have been married far longer than my 21 years of marriage. I need to learn from parents who now have grandchildren and great-grandchildren while I'm raising five children from age six to 18. My wife and I need to learn from people that have stayed faithful to God for a lifetime while we've only been married for 21 years. We need to learn from those a decade or two or three older than us. When I make big decisions in my life, I often seek out three or four, five godly aged men or women. I know my wife, there's one or two that she'll call and reach out to in her life. There, there are a couple even in our church that she enjoys trying to get time and take out for tea or coffee or breakfast and just talk to me about this stage of life. You've been where I'm at some 10 or 20 or 30 years ago. By the way, those of us that might be younger than 60, we should be reaching out and, and, and pulling that wisdom out. But those that might be 60s or 70s or older, don't think you have nothing to offer. My challenge to you in this season is invest. The things you've amassed, the things you've learned, the experiences you've gained, invest those. Invest those. Don't buy into the lie. The generations below us, parents don't buy into the lie that your teens don't want to hear from you or don't, maybe they don't want to, but they need to. And those that are older, don't buy into the lie that the generations below you don't need, need or want to hear from you. It's one reason I've asked Brother Jay to preach that three-part series starting next Wednesday night. Why? He has wisdom I don't have. We've spent hours together over meals and at different places and different times, and he's taught me so much. And we were talking on the phone last week for about a half an hour. Just he was, I was catching up with how he's doing with his health and, and those things. And, and I told him, my thought on that series, you can pray, and, and I told you, you can preach whatever you want. But my thought is, Brother Jay, if I were to sit down with you and just say, talk to me about what you learned at the different seasons of life. Why? I need to learn from a godly couple like Jay and Betsy Shaner. They've been through some things Tiffany and I haven't been through. And, and it's on Mother's Day, we're having Don Sisk, who's, who's nearing, I believe, late 80s, maybe 90s, a missionary and has served the Lord for some 60, 65 years. 
and we're having them come in. Oh, there might be maybe more entertaining or more dynamic, more flashy speakers that we could bring in. And, and I'm not against bringing some younger men in at times. There might be more than an 88-year-old man on Mother's Day. But may I just say, most of us don't need more entertainment. We need more wisdom and guidance and direction from those who have walked the road we are walking. And let me just finish up with a couple more thoughts or one more thought. The 60s is often... Uh, the decade of retirement. Not always, but often it's the decade where somewhere in your 60s, you either slow down your work pace or you may retire completely from your career. Can I challenge you, those that are either getting ready for that or you're in that? My, my challenge to you is this, always retire to something. Don't just stop working for 40 or 50 years and after 40 or 50 years of working and have no idea how you're gonna fill that time. Have a purpose beyond, and I'm not against traveling in your retirement, if that's if you enjoy travel, but have a purpose beyond just traveling a few weeks or a couple months a year and, and then get, getting on Facebook every day and watching Fox News for hours every day. And again, I'm not against any of those things in and of themselves, but, but have something you're retiring to. Your purpose is not done just because what you had had as your career is done. What are you going to give your time to? It might be reading. It might be studying. It might be a, a project you, you wanted to, to do. I have no idea. And there might be, there should be some pleasure and some rest and some relaxation and enjoy time with family and extended time if you have children or grandchildren. All of those things are good. But if you're going to stop working after 40 or 50 years, how are you going to fill that time with worthwhile priorities? Have a plan beyond I'm just going to finally rest with family, with service, with volunteering, mentoring. Every week we have multiple people on our property really almost every day in our church who are retired, who come down to use their time and energy for the furtherance of the work of God here. If you're getting ready for that season, have a plan beyond, well, I'm just going to take a nap. That's great. Take a nap. But have a purpose that you're giving your life to. Continue to invest. Invest in others. A few years ago, my wife and I walked in on a Sunday night for church and you know how it is, I don't know, well, you don't know how it is because most of you are not here at this time, but if you walk in here on, at 440 on Sunday afternoon, you would wonder, are we really having church tonight? It's usually me and about seven of my closest friends here at about 440. You all come about 455, don't you, between 455 and some of you, you, you push it to about 502, 503 during the first congregational song. And by the time church starts... We normally have a great crowd on Sunday night and folks stick around afterwards and talk and fellowship and we eat. People don't mind staying afterwards, but I don't know if it's because the service starts at five. For whatever reason, at about 4.45, not very many of us are here. And I walked in and there, there was only a few people scattered around the auditorium. And there was a, a lady, elderly lady, sitting right about that row where you're at, Keith and Glory, maybe the row behind you. And I, I looked and I didn't recognize who it was. So just me and her in the auditorium. So I thought I'll go talk to her. And I walked up and, and I said, hello, my name is Ryan. What's your name? And she said, my name is Lois Beshore. And I said, oh, Lois, I said, did you say Beshore? And she said, yes. I said, oh, as in, are you related to Kenton Beshore, who was the pastor for many years at Mariners? He's the pastor when they built this, this auditorium. He was the pastor on this property when they built this, this building and that building. This was originally Mariners property and our church swapped properties with them back in 1998. I said, are you related to Kenton Beshore, the pastor over at Mariners? And she said, yes, that's my son. I said, well, thank you for coming to church tonight. We're so glad you're here. I said, you probably remember this auditorium then when it was first built. And we chatted. And she said, well, I, I came. And she said, are you the pastor? I said, well, I try to be when they let me. And she said, I want to take you and your wife out to, out to a bite to eat. 
I said, well, I'd love that. And then so I got her number and we lined up a time. And we met her here at the Gulfstream uh, Seafood Restaurant right there near PCH, right by the, uh, by the Tommy Bahama, right over there. Is that Gelson's, whatever that, or, um, whatever farms, whatever that grocery store is over there. And, uh, and we met over there and she came pulling up in her own car, drove herself there. I think she was 92 or 93 when we met. Still driving herself to the restaurant. She got out and we had the, the sweetest time, my wife and I, for a couple of hours talking with her. And I asked her questions, and I, and I asked her, I said, now, what did you learn raising, tell me about your children, I, where are they, are they serving, I knew obviously one serving the Lord, where the other one's doing, where are they at, and she told me the story, and she shared lessons, she shared, shared some mountaintops and some valleys of their marriage, and I think they were married for nearly 70 years, her husband was a, a, a well-known author and Bible speaker and Bible preacher and much on prophecy, and she told me all about her husband's ministry, he had been the head of a, of a Bible, uh, a, a well-known Bible agency, I can't remember which one right now and she shared all these things with me and and she was talking to me about some of the guidelines they had set up with their family and how they made their family a priority and and for them to lose their family and that relationship and succeed in ministry was not success at all and she shared all of these things and I was talking to her and, and I think she was 92 when we talked and I, and I said, now, what do you do with your week? She, and one of the reasons she wanted to meet, she, she had some questions about possibly using our property for something. And, and she came a couple of sunny nights. She said, I enjoy the way that you walk through that book of the Bible verse by verse. And, and she told me how she and her husband had served the Lord, I think, 70 or 75 years together, some long, long time. And, and, and I said, what do you do with your And she said, well, every morning I go on my prayer walk. And I go and I pray, I, I walk for about an hour and I pray every morning for, for my family and for all, all these different things. And she said, and then I forget one day, Tuesday is my Bible study at this place. And I go and, and I'm learning there. And Thursday afternoon is my Bible study there. And, and on, I think it's on Sunday morning, I teach a, a young girl's Sunday school class. And, and then on Sunday afternoons, uh, we gather, there's about 100 or 200 adults that come and we show one of my husband's video sermons. We, we show one of his sermons every week. He's gone to heaven now, but, but it's this Bible study we show this, and, and, I'm, and she's walking me through her whole week. And she could have easily said, well, I'm 92, I don't have, and she's since gone to heaven in the last year or so. She, I don't have anything I need to do, but here was this 92-year-old lady saying, every week, not only am I trying to invest, but I'm going to Bible studies. She's heard more Bible, she's forgotten more Bible than I've ever learned. She's still going to Bible studies to learn, to grow spending every day in communion with her Lord, praying, trying to invest in hundreds of people through showing her husband's uh, video sermons and, and teaching that Sunday school class and doing all of those, those things. And, 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 and again, I'm not against enjoying. I, I look forward with my wife, Lord willing, if God gives us health and strength someday down the road, uh, maybe having a little slower pace and the Lord may lead us to some form of retirement. I don't know what that will look like if, we, if God leads us to not be the the. the uh, lead pastor here, and, and that's, that's I, I pray that we'll retire to something, and I don't know what that would be, a, a missions work, or helping, or living near our children, and work, I have no idea what God has, and I'm not against golf, or a little travel, or rest, or gardening, or a good hobby, but if you're in this series, and you are retired, or you're considering retirement, how are you investing all that you've gained, and gleaned throughout your life during these years? Investment, what is investment? It gives us the idea of focusing on others, it's interesting. In every season of life, think about this and I'll close. In every season of life, our flesh, our society, and Satan try to get us to focus on ourselves, don't they? In your teens, spend all your time experimenting, trying stuff out, seeing what's fun, enjoying it. Live your life for yourself in your teen years. 
In your, in your 20s, put all your time and money into college and then starting to pay off college. In your 30s, put all your time and money into getting a house or a car or a business off the ground. In your 40s and 50s, put all your time and money in if God's giving you kids and getting those kids out of the house and off to college and married off. In your 60s, put all your time and money into paying off that house and trying to get enough in, your, in the bank so you can retire and live on it. In your retirement, put all your time and money into finally just being able to do nothing and enjoy your life. And if we're not careful, we will miss what truly brings joy and fulfillment at every stage. What should we be doing in every season? Spending significant portions of our time and money investing in efforts that will impact others and will impact eternity. This isn't just a message for those in their 60s. Yes, invest. But it's funny how the stages of life, in every stage, there's something that tries to get us to spend almost all of our time and money on ourselves. I finally got to retirement. Now I can enjoy. And again, enjoy it. But you've got so much to offer. Invest it. Make a difference. Fruitfulness. Faithfulness. In every season of our lives, our society, our flesh, and maybe even Satan tries to get us to spend so much of our time and money on things that are just inwardly focused. What should we be doing in every season, spending significant portions of our time and money investing in efforts that will impact others and will impact eternity? Tonight, your 50s and your 60s, you've lived decades. You have resources to share. My challenge to you is this, be fruitful and invest those resources in others. It may be resources of time, of money, of knowledge, of wisdom, of Bible knowledge, of a trade, of a skill, of a business, of a career you've built. Use all of that for fruitfulness and invest it in others. Help me, Lord. Don't forsake me in my old age. I want to share your truth in your name with another generation. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Really, these two words, it's a good reminder no matter what decade you find yourself in, aren't they? How's your fruitfulness? Are you using your life to make a difference, to bear fruit, to bring value, to bring, to bring any good to anybody else? And your investment, that which you've been given, to whom much is given, much shall be required. That which you've been given, how are you using it to impact others and to impact eternity? Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.